Hello and welcome back to Freedom Machines with Freddie Dobbs. I am back in Tenerife now. I had two weeks back in the UK and I was surprised. I enjoyed it more than I thought I would. It was cold, it was wet, but it's very nice being back. And what I realise from being back in the UK is that for the character and the history that it has, it does go a long, long way to compensating for the atrocious weather that the UK has. And also, it never gets that atrocious in the UK. You know, you see people posting about how, for example, over in Poland, there's lots of snow or over in the east of Europe or even the north of Europe, still lots of snow, still very cold, still hard for biking. But in the UK, even when it's it's typically British, the weather, it never gets ridiculously cold. It always stays at a fairly level unpleasantness weather-wise. And that means that you can genuinely ride in the UK year round. So I'm extremely grateful for that. It meant that when we had the Honda Rebel, when I had the Honda Rebel, Rebel I could enjoy it 80% of the time when I was back. So that was brilliant. No snow, never got below kind of four degrees, even in the evening. Absolutely delighted. So I had a brilliant time. And the character with the old, the old, castles and the old pubs and things like that. It was just so good. And being back just for my last YouTube video in the UK, going to an old British country pub with the Honda Rebel is one of the final things we did. Speaking to the bar lady there about the character, the history of the pub, the fact that the pub I went to with Monica on the Honda Rebel, 400 year old pub, so haunted in theory, it had actually been exercised. People actually go there as ghost spotters to that pub. And then we went to an old manor house about 30 seconds away that was as haunted as the pub. So if you're interested in that type of stuff, go and watch our last video because it did freak me out a bit. Okay, I'm back in Tenerife. The battery is back in the Bonneville and the rear light cluster is back on. The original rear light cluster from the Bonnevilles of my era is back on. I just, I had an aftermarket rear light cluster on the bike. Ah, oh, just, just too many problems with it. It's an LED unit and it's not a replaceable LED unit. And probably out of the 40 mini LED bulbs in this rear unit, maybe 18 of them had stopped working just under half and it, it was just getting worse and worse and sometimes they wouldn't come on at all. And I was just, by the end, I was just sick of it. So I went onto eBay and I bought secondhand, I think it was about, probably about 80 pounds, maybe even 60. It wasn't cheap, but I thought, you know what? Just put it back to standard. And I have to say that putting the standard rear light cluster back on the bike, you realize how easy it is to, to plug and play this original stuff. It's just one, plug socket to attach from the main body of the bike to this entire rear light cluster, indicators, brake light, rear light, everything, just one. It took about five seconds, it was so easy. So yeah, I'm over the moon with it, I'm over the moon. And a bit of me wants to put a bit more of the bike back to standard, maybe even the original indicators and the original mirrors. So I'll see how that goes. Right. Royal Enfield, limited edition, 120th anniversary bikes. 
These came on sale 7th of March as a first come, first serve motorbike. They only came out, as I'm recording this podcast, two days ago. And I think they're making something like 60 models of the Special Edition Continental and 60 models of the Special Edition Interceptor. So let's see. I'm just going online now. I'm very curious about this because I loved, I absolutely loved the look of these. And if I had the money, I may well be tempted to buy one of these because... I love everything that Royal Enfield represents. So let's see if there are any available. And also let's see what price they came in at. Right, here we go. They may well all have sold out, but let's see what we can find here. If I go onto Royal Enfield, oh, here we go. I'm on to royalenfield.co.uk. The absolute first thing I see on the website, Big Block Capitals, sold out. So that's it. Two days later, and I guess I'm not surprised, there were only 60 of each coming to Europe, I think. They're all gone, and I can't even see... And I can't even see how much they were. You know, special edition motorbikes, they divide opinion unlike anything else. I have never had so much... Maybe hatred's pushing it, but so many negative comments... And when I did the, the YouTube video about the Triumph and Breitling Special Editions, because there are a lot of people who have fairly strong hatred towards these Special Editions where they cost more money in these collaborations with these luxury brands. For me personally, I love it. If you've got the money, why not? Why not go out there and get a Special Edition? And Breitling and Triumph is a collaboration. Amazing. I see the appeal 100%. If I had the money, I'd probably consider it. But some people, they really do get very angry with, you know, with these kind of special editions where you have to pay more money. You know, you can't always justify the price of these special editions. But then again, you can't justify the price of a Rolex, a Breitling, a Ferrari, a Porsche. These are unjustifiable things. We're looking at this from a passionate point of view. It can't be justified with common sense. So I see the appeal of special editions, but they do, they do divide. They do divide. So that's it. Um, special editions gone. I was hoping to tell you how much they were, but it shows how popular actually the special editions are. But it's often the case. Looking at these special editions, they sell out immediately, just like the Triumph and Brightling special edition uh, Speed Twin. You know, there are a lot of people who, who don't like them, who passionately don't like these special editions. But guess what? Triumph sold out almost immediately. So it's, it's the silent bikers who'll go out and buy them, but probably the slightly louder ones will, will have an issue with it. I always enjoy seeing different people's opinions. So whether you like it or not, I'd love to hear your opinion. Just let me know. When I go onto the Royal Enfield website, do you know, every time I go on, it's just the most glorious feel-good factor. Get on a good value bike and just go on ride. I love everything they do, Royal Enfield. I'll move on from that. But the marketing, I think they've got absolutely on point more than any other biking company. OK, listen to this. I, I got an email that came in. Um, uh, Freddie, enjoying your po uh, podcast, etc., etc., etc. If you've done any... F uh, do, 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 do. Oh, here we go. OK, I'll move on. Freddie, uh, I'm enjoying the podcast. My favourite uh, of the Thunderbirds, the Triumph Thunderbirds, is the Thunderbird Sport, which is an amazing bike. Uh, it's, an, it's a variation of the Thunderbird 900 from around about the early 2000s that I was discussing a week ago. Um, 
But the email continues. Um, then, of course, you have the more large capacity Thunderbirds, 1600s, 1700s. But the Sport in particular, the Thunderbird Sport 900 in particular, has shot up in value recently. Over £6,000 for 1990s, probably late 1990s, retro roadster. Almost in Ducati Sport Classic territory. Now, this is extremely interesting. Because the Thunderbird Sport is a bike, or the Thunderbird 900cc from Triumph is a bike that I was looking at a lot. And it's, it's a very good looking, around about £4,000 motorbike. And this is a bike that often goes, it, it, it goes under the radar a little bit, but the prices are extremely solid. So, for example, if I go on to Auto Trader, and I go on to Triumph and I'm looking at the Thunderbird 900. I then click on more filters and I specifically, I specifically go and I type sport to find the sport model. Now, let's see how many of these are available. I'll just enter my postcode, pretending of course I'm in the UK because I like to keep it relative. We have 10 bikes found. Now, 10 Thunderbird Sport 900s. Now, I can find one as the cheapest for 4,645. However, they now go up to, exactly as this person said, Niall, so thank you, Niall, or Neil, I always get that wrong, I think it's Niall, 6,500, exactly as Niall said, 6,500 pounds now for the Sport model. And these bikes, I think of an absolute bang on future classic. So if you're looking for something even slightly more special than the traditional Thunderbird 900, have a look at the sport model because that is a very sharp looking motorbike. And if you compare it to the Ducati, now this for me is one of the best looking bikes that's ever been made. Ducati, I'll just remove the sport section. The Ducati, Sport Classic. Let's have a look at prices of this just to compare. Sport Classic. Now listen to this. Auto Trader UK. Ducati Sport Classic. Now I remember seven years ago or so, I used to live in Greenwich in South East London. And when I used to have my Triumph Speed Triple, I used to ride over to the supermarket to Sainsbury's. And every day that I was at the supermarket, there was this absolutely glorious Ducati Sport Classic parked up. And I remember thinking that is one of the best looking bikes that I've ever seen. And at the time, I'm sure I remember that these bikes were, I'm sure they were about £4,000 now. But if I look now, there are only two available on Auto Trader. And I'm almost wondering if I'm looking at the same bike because they're 16,995 or 17,000 pounds. Let me just see if I can find any cheaper ones than that because the prices of these are absolutely through the roof. For an investment bike, if you're lucky enough to be able to get your hands on one of these, these will be an incredible, incredible thing. They're, they're so good looking, they almost should be put just in the living room as a piece of artwork. They're, they are that good looking, these bikes. And can you find an affordable one? I don't know if it's possible. 
I'm now having to type in Sport Classic Ducati for sale in the UK because there aren't enough of them on Autotrader at the moment. But I think I'm going to have a difficult time finding any of these available. Both of the ones that I found on Autotrader are the third version, but to look for a naked version, I don't know if I'm going to be able to have any luck at all. I'll try one final place, which will be eBay. This is the thing with some of these bikes. If you're looking, you know, especially the Italian bikes, the sport classics, very difficult to get hold of now. Uh, and especially to get hold of one at an affordable price. I don't know if this is possible anymore. I'll have one final look on eBay, but this, this is a used proposition. I'm actually, for now, going to have to give up. Someone let me know if you've man managed to find one of those. I remember thinking they were unusually good looking bikes. I actually can't find one to compare to the Thunderbird. There were, even the Thunderbird, there are only 10 of them available. You know, these specific models, if we can find them around about the late 90s, early 2000s-ish, if you've got a good eye, there's money to be made in these used bikes 100%. They can be a superb financial investment with regards to not losing a penny, strong residuals, and very possibly they're going to be ticking up in value as well. Okay, I move on. Freddie, hope you're well. Long-time viewer and listener. Now, this is interesting, this one. I'm, I'm curious on this and I welcome any input. My email, D-O-B dot bs at outlook.com that's dob.bs at outlook.com i'm curious on your input on this freddie i hope you're well long time viewer and listener i'm emailing you this evening in a bit of despair after coming off my bike yesterday i'm a fairly new rider i started in october 2021 and of a similar age to, and I'm of a similar age to you so i'm no tear away or someone blasting around the point of my email is this I'd be interested to get your experiences and that of your listeners about the risky side of riding. I love it and was over the moon when I got my triumph. However, I'm now lacking massively in confidence with both my pride and one side of my body bruised. My accident was at slow speed, maybe 15 miles an hour down to understeer, lack of control on my part, on a mud and uh, on a muddy country lane. But either way, it was a shock. And dare I say, it's given, me a, it's given me second thoughts about my new passion, which I love dearly. My bike has cosmetic damage and so does my gear. And it's reminded me that it could have been much worse. I was hoping to get your thoughts and experiences on this matter. If any, maybe some advice about what to do next. <clears throat> this is always a tricky one. And I welcome any of your opinion and your thoughts and your stories on this. Again, send me an email, dob.bs at outlook.com. Now, I have never had a crash on my bike before, but let me tell you about two or three of my closest encounters to coming off the bike. So one of them, in fact, let me take you back 15 months or so. And I had, I was in England at the time, it was winter, and I had the Triumph 1200XC Scrambler. It was about one degree and the roads were a mixture of borderline ice and just that wet, mud, moist, damp ground that never disappears over the winter months. And I was in the countryside and I'd just come off from doing a little bit of light off-roading. 
dual sport tires on the bike and I was riding along a normal paved road, a tarmac asphalt, uh, doing about 30 miles an hour. And in the middle of the lane, there was uh, a very, very thin layer of mud, a muddy bit in the middle of the lane that was almost uh, invisible to the naked eye, but it was there. And I was riding along in the middle of the lane, a thin layer of mud on the lane. And I just, and I'm not a fast rider, but I just gave it a little bit of accelerator while coming into a, a soft bend. And as I gave it a bit of accelerator, the 1200XC is a powerful bike. The back end, and this is in rain mode I had it, I had it in rain mode, so the softest mode you can possibly have it in. The back end just completely, completely skidded out and gave way, wheels spinning, rear wheel veering off to the left, I honestly thought I was coming off this brand new bike from Triumph. And then as the rear wheel skidded off, the, the rear wheel skidded off to the left, I just, just somehow, not really through skill on my own, managed to correct it, gave it a little, little bit of accelerator and it managed to veer from the left over to the right, left, right, left, right again, fishtailing completely out of control until I eventually sorted myself out through pure luck. And that would have been the first time I would have ever have come off properly on any bike, but certainly on a press bike. And I do remember thinking after that, it does shake you and it does knock your confidence slightly. Uh, you know, it's, it's a hard thing. You know, the only way to get over that, you just got to keep on riding. Don't stop even for a moment. Get right back on the bike, assuming it's all fixed and just carry on. It's also the case that this is emphasized more with more powerful bikes. The softer bikes, the likes of my Bonneville, they're, they're much, much tamer bikes, way, way tamer. The less power you have at the rear wheel, the, the far less chance you'll ever have of situations like this. I do remember on my Triumph Speed Triple, 130 horsepower bike, I genuinely thought, and I know I've said this a lot, I genuinely, genuinely believed that bike wanted to kill me because I've never had so many situations uh, where I've had near misses. 130 horsepower, no traction control, nothing at all. I had fishtailing situations. If it was damp coming out of a roundabout and you give it too much accelerator, the rear wheel would spin out. I had times filtering on the motorway where I wasn't properly concentrating. And before I knew it, I was going relatively so fast. I was a meter and a half from a car that had stopped and I had to desperately veer out of the way on the motorway. Things like that, and you get completely shaken and you start thinking to yourself, you know, Freddie, you idiot. You know, you, you gotta be careful. This is your life you're dealing with here. You're dealing with your, your health for the rest of your life, your fitness for the rest of your life with these mistakes. And I, I, I did, I, I remember on my Triumph Speed Triple, I got into those situations a lot. And I'm very happy to say that on my Bonneville, I think I've only ever had one very slight, and I do mean very, very slight fishtailing situation on the roundabout, but I do take my time when I'm riding. I go out with a rider sometimes. He's got a Triumph Speed Triple, and he is a fair weather rider. He probably only does a couple of hundred miles a year, but when I'm out with him, even if it's a bit wet and we're on the roundabouts, he will absolutely destroy me and leave me in his dust, even on the wet, because he is a, a braver rider than me. I think the key is get back on your bike. Don't let any fear stop you, because I always say this, fear 
isn't the issue. It's our relationship with fear is what controls and dictates our lives. So fear is no problem at all. We all fear everything, whether we're taking a business decision to do something, we fear the unknown, we fear we may go bankrupt if the business decision doesn't pull off or we're about to do a bungee jump. That fear may well stop us doing the bungee jump. The fear may well stop us starting a new business or the fear may stop us putting £2,000 on red uh, in, a, in a casino or uh, speaking to a, a lady that we like the look of. Fear can stop us in any way, but it's how we control that fear. Do we let that fear stop us following our passions or do we allow that fear to be a part of the situation but decide that you won't let that fear stop you doing what you want to do? So it's just managing that relationship with fear as opposed to you know, letting that fear overtake and dictate what you're going to do. So I would say have a look at that side of things. But from my side, Liam, jump back on the bike. Take everything at 80%. This is something that I started doing after about three years of riding. I don't ride at my limit, which I used to. I used to ride at my limit where I used to scare myself. Now I ride at 70 to 80% of my limit. I ride it less than I think I'm capable of doing. And that way you can just sit back and enjoy the scenery. So get back on the bike, Liam. You'll be fine. Right, I've got a few things. I wanted to have a look at from from the news actually because on the way back from from the UK flying into Tenerife it's four and a quarter hours worth of flying so I always have my Readly app and I download the motorbike magazines and I was reading the bike magazine and there were a few articles that I found extremely interesting. One of them I'll get to in a second, and that article from Bike Magazine is that, in fact, you know, I'm going to do this now. MV Augusta Brutales. Apparently, because they were looking at good used buys, and let's carry on this, because this is pertinent, it's relevant to the Ducati Club, the Ducati Supersport. Well, let's have a look at another Italian stallion here. MV Augusta Brutales. For under £5,000, they're saying. I almost don't know if I can believe that because this is a piece of artwork, a desirable motorcycle. Yes, they're very fast and it goes against everything I've just been saying to Niall. But, you know, these are desirable things. They're desirable objects to own. They're pieces of artwork. They're things that, you, you, you know, you can just, even if you just have it to look at it, depending on what type of rider you are, very special things to own these. So let's have a look. Is this really true? Can you really get an MV Augusta Brutale? And there are 57 available on Auto Trader. It's not a bike that I would ever, I'd ever pick for myself to ride because it's so, so quick. But let's have a look at what you can get. And, and I'm completely blown away. This is not a bike I would ever, ever have considered. Go and have a look at these MV Augusta Brutales. You can get them for under £4,000. 750, here's one I like, I like them in red. 2004 model, 750cc, £3,980 for a breathtakingly good looking Italian stallion. Under four grand for an MV Augusta. This is, it's just the thing, this is why I love biking. 
This is a Lamborghini of the biking world and you can have it for under £4,000. This is why I like it so much. The bike's covered 24,000 miles. It comes with its two original keys. It comes uh, HBI clear. It's been fully inspected. The bike's in great condition and has just and has been left just how MV Augusta intended it, so it's completely standard. I've got to say, this is looking like an incredibly good deal. Let me just check what people say about this. So, MV Augusta Brutale, 750. Let's see how these get in the reviews, just to see if we're dealing with a realistic proposition or if it's scarily unreliable. Okay, Motorcycle News, my favorite place. Motorcycle News rate it four, point uh, 4 out of five stars. Owner's rating of the MV Augusta Brutale, five out of five. This is Honda VFR level. Honda VFR level. Owner's ratings for an Italian stallion from the early 2000s. Listen to this, annual servicing costs, £100 per 127 horsepower from a, a 750cc bike. That is, that's a lot of horsepower. Um, I'm having like ride quality and brakes, 5 out of 5. Overall rating, 4 out of 5. I'll just read this owner's rating. He's got a 2006 model. He's given it 4 out of 5, so I'll give a nice balanced review here. Some things are so beautiful that you just want to look at them. And the NV Augusta Brutale 750 is arguably the most stunning roadster-type motorbike anyone can own, especially the Serie Oro version. Okay, it isn't that fast for 750. Well, for me, that's relatively speaking. I think it's fast. I continue. And the headlamp looks a bit odd, but the rest of the, the rest of the bike simply uses style, class and pizzazz. It handles and brakes superbly. This, this is a superb shout for a used motorbiking proposition that I honestly believe will be a very, very good long-term investment. You will not lose one penny in value from this bike. I actually, I would suggest, if we're looking at 2001 to 2006, it's now about 20 years old or so, it will have had its 20th birthday. We're on to a very soon-to-be appreciating classic, and at under £4,000, you cannot go wrong for a bike that looks that good. Go and have a look at those, and that is an article from Bike Magazine. Fantastic tip there. What else? Triumph Motorcycles are joining the Singles Club. This is in response to the gigantic success of the Meteor. Bike magazines say that um, this is an obvious rival to Royal Enfield's Meteor 350, which has had a massive impact since its launch, its launch last year. Even in the European markets, which are usually dominated by big capacity bikes, the Meteors sold astonishingly well. In November last year, 284 new Meteors were registered in the UK, which made it Britain's best-selling bike across all classes. The Meteor has overtaken the BMW GS, and in November 2021, it was the best-selling bike. And do you know what makes that even more special? It was better-selling than 125ccs, which usually, and I'm quoting here from bike, usually outsell every other form of motorbike by miles. This is, this is just so good for biking in general, that biking's being opened up to the masses. And anyway, I'll go back to the story. Basically, Triumph for bringing out a single cylinder bike 
to compete directly with the Royal Enfield Meteor uh, because clearly Triumph can see the gigantic success that Royal Enfield have had. And, you know, Royal Enfield, you can argue, they keep being first to the market. They're first to the market with a good-looking retro, good-value adventure bike. They're first to the market with a really good-value modern classic in the Interceptor. They're first to market with the Meteor, you know, with what that represents as a ridiculously good-value stylish bike. And again, Triumph are having to follow suit. My prediction is that Triumph will slightly will cost slightly more than the Meteor, but it may be a slightly more premium feel bike, but it looks perfectly good in the, in the initial pictures. Ducati, uh, Ducati are opening a custom department. In fact, someone sent me an email about a month or so ago and they said, Freddie, uh, like a lot of car companies do, for example, Peugeot, let's say if you own a classic Peugeot 205 and you want it completely restored, but you want it restored by people who really know what you're doing, really know what they're doing. You can now take your classic Peugeot 205 to Peugeot and they've got a classic car department and they, Peugeot specifically, will restore your Peugeot back to factory settings like it just left the showroom back in the 80s. Well, someone said to me, Freddie, don't you think that'll be a good idea? And I said, yes, you know, what? I need to chat about this. I haven't chatted about it yet. But this is just perfect timing. Du and I'm quoting here from Bike Magazine, Ducati open a custom department. And this, this is so interesting. Irked by the amount of money spent by some wealthy owners. <coughs> Excuse me. Irked by the amount of money some wealthy owners have handed over to customizers, Ducati, Ducati have started their own factory, uh, factory Dan department to take their cash instead. The Centro Stile Ducati promises to turn out unique bikes featuring precious materials, exclusive finishes and special colours. You can visit the factory, brief the designers and then pop in to see how it's going. Ducati says designs must be in line with the brand, so your plan for a Panigale V4F with a massive pair of titanium breasts on the tank probably won't cut it. Contact your local Ducati dealer. Oh! Actually, this is for customizing your Ducati as opposed to renovating old ones. Okay, well, that is, that's going a step further than the, a lot of motorbike companies do. For example, with Triumph now they've, and Royal Enfield, they've got huge customizing lists. But this isn't about renovating old bikes. This is actually now with Ducati, you can genuinely customize and make the bike your own going above and beyond all of the added extras that you see on the website you can actually go and specify different things that you want for example i want a, a tail tidy on there i want a custom color i want uh, this bit chopped off or that bit chopped off and so long as it relatively fits in with ducati's ethos as a brand they will actually do it for you so you can spec a bike exactly as you want it you can get it modified so it will actually effectively leave the dealership, leave the showroom as a genuinely customised bike, but customised by Ducati themselves. So I guess that means, and it, well, it will mean, 
You don't void any warranty at all. This is a really interesting avenue to go down now, actually, and this will be hugely appealing. It will not be cheap because it's Ducati, but there'll be plenty of prospective Ducati owners who'll be incredibly interested in that. Right, let me just check how I'm doing for time. Okay, I want to do my final article here, just a little bit over. Get ready. Aftermarket exhaust enthusiasts, I had to read this before I end today's podcast episode. Noise clampdown hits France. Now, is this a warning of things to come? I have discussed this type of thing before in the past. It's a little bit worrying. I begin. A French noise camera trial could have serious implications for UK riders with loud pipes. French authorities have introduced noise cameras that are claimed to detect illegally loud vehicles and automatically send owners a fine, up to €135, according to the French press. If this experiment works, Britain's Department for Transport will no doubt pick up on the idea, having repeatedly expressed a desire to crack down on noisy vehicles, not just bikes, and conducted their own noise camera tests in 2019. So the UK already on the case with this exact type of thing. I continue. The French cameras, part of a two-year experiment, are sited in seven French cities, including Paris, Nice and Toulouse, and work by linking directional microphones with ANPR cameras. However, there's no guarantee the trial will work, as noise is far more difficult to measure than speed. Besides the obvious problem of making sure that the vehicle in the photo is the one making the noise, rather than, for example, example, a low-flying jet, there are also other significant technical problems, etc., etc. That is an interesting insight into things to come. I did think it may only be a matter of time before we get these kind of restrictions. I always say my bike isn't that loud, but it actually comes up just below the legal limit, just within the legal limit, as what's allowed noise-wise. So... It could, in fact, I'm almost certain this will be a sign of things to come in the future. Right, I'll end it there. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to this week's episode. Um, Let me know if you've had any crashes or spills and your thoughts and feelings after that, how you overcame it. I'll be genuinely interested in, in that. Have a brilliant week all, and I will speak to you in the next one.